Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That being said, you're completely right. There's like, there's at least like a, a Spoon's Greatest Hits that's 10 songs would be, wow. I mean, that, that, that would really stand out to almost any band's 10 best songs. Well, this is great. I mean, the board of directors, I, full disclosure for, for everyone, the board of directors did ask um, that we reel in the acrimony that was so obvious on the podcast last week. So it's good that you guys- So that's are- why you started the podcast by attacking my <laughs> outfit? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I, I'm just seeing their memo again. That reminded me. Yeah, uh, nice job. Way to bring it together on Spoon. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Fellas, how are you on this fine Sunday afternoon? at the best of 2007. Uh, but Mark, did we take you off of the, the cricket field? What was that? You were playing tennis? What is that? looking sharp. I mean, wow. Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Coming. Mocking my sartorial choices. Coming hurts in my hot. feelings. Uh, hurts my feelings. The great, Listen, joke for, great joke. Somebody for on the show. podcast has to be the best looking, best dressed guy. Somebody. Somebody you know, has to be. It's out there. That it's just right there to be grabbed. Uh, you know what? Right, we're looking with sharp. me on this podcast. The gold and silver medal positions are always available. There's no doubt <laughs> about it. Uh, we're looking sharp in Knoxville. How are we doing in Berkeley, Jeff Simons? We're a little frumpy. We have not showered yet today. Okay. And, uh, we are wearing the sweatpants we wore yesterday. So okay. we're uh, we're having a good old time here. I'm ha- I'm leaning into uh, the weekend, <laughs> nice and hard. But uh, we're doing fine. Do either of you get uh, what we in the plain household call the Sunday blues, where Sunday evening is creeping up on you and you realize you haven't perhaps done as much work as you intended and the weekend began and you realize the weekend is over and it's like a mini little glimpse at the end of life. (laughs) Don't turn dark. Any Sunday blues? What are your Sunday nights usually like? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the worst thing about staying in education is that Sunday night is always like, ah, oh, shit, here we go. And your <laughs> your Monday starts on Sunday night because you got to prep everything you're going to do. In case yeah. any of our parents are listening, we love children. We love teaching. Yes, so much. Right. So, but so sometimes uh, the prep and the grading and everything kind of gets to be a little yeah, there's thoughtful. a um 
there's a great Emily Dickinson poem. There's a certain okay. slant of light winter afternoons that oppresses like the heft of cathedral tunes. Yes. You ever read that one? Oh yeah. Two fifty eight. That's what Sunday night has always felt like yeah. to me. Yeah. That poem is oppressive. Ah, <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, I guess I guess if you're a law professor, it doesn't weigh on you the same way. <laughs> you're too busy out playing cricket. Just unbelievable. <laughs> Just shots fired today. I have no I idea what's going on. What is going on with you, Tim? I thought you'd be in a good mood. UNC won that big game yesterday. And, yeah, uh, go Chapel Hill. Woo. Yeah, man. What's, you know what? You're, I, I made a... I made you spent a whole weekend down in the basement as the asbestos <laughs> in your lungs? Is that what happened? I made a, a choice last night. I'm interested to know your feelings. Um, you know, because we don't have a lot of big-time musical acts come through Asheville, kind of like Knoxville. It's like, ooh, are they really coming? So last night... Big act came through Asheville. I could have gone, but I instead chose to to stay home so I could watch the Duke Chapel Hill basketball game. The act was Bob Dylan. Did I make oh. the right call? He's pretty good on this tour. He's pretty good on this tour, and also he may not tour forever. But that being said, I mean, a Duke UNC game only comes, you know. Yeah. That was a, the that's a coin flip. It apparently comes once in the never because it's the first time ever. It never happened, yeah. yeah. I don't know. And is he really good on this tour? I mean, he's, he's pretty good. good. He really is. He's pretty good. Good by comparison to previous oh, oh, Bob Dylan Good tours? by comparison, but also still pretty good. Okay. Really? Is he they know. Okay. All right. I vowed to never pay to see him again after the last time I saw him. <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I'm not supporting this Emperor's New Clothes event anymore. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. It was the it was the tour where he was teaching himself how to play the piano live on yeah. stage, and I mean it was like, holy smoke! If I were in a bar, I would demand that somebody pull that crazy old man off the stage so I could enjoy my beer. And I paid for the experience. <laughs> I wonder if we'll ever get to that phase of this podcast. Yeah, we'll ever get there. <laughs> So it thing is, is, Jeff, I saw that same tour and it was very memorable. It's memorable. That's it the thing. Like, I'm very not very memorable. I'm not I, bitter about it because it's such an amazing memory and story to watch the maybe the most significant American songwriter ever. Sure. Just like, hey, I wonder what chord this is in front of 8,000 paying people. It's incredible. It's incredible. And <laughs> I'm just hey, I'm grateful to have been in the same room with that guy. Right. Yeah. And that's and actually. My best story about that night is when I came out of the of the theater, I got to the to the corner where my was turning right to uh, go to where my car was parked, and the tour bus rolled up, and Dylan was standing in like you know how you get on a bus, there's a little like first step, yeah, and then the doors close. He's standing there facing out on that first step in his little suit and outfit and hat and little mustache, like a wax figurine of Bob Dylan, <laughs> and he's just standing there motionless and like he the thing rolls up and like we're like three feet away from each other with just the glass in between us and i'm just like i gave him like a hey bob and he just looked at me like and he did a little smile but he barely moved he like oh like yeah tip of the head like hello young man you're and lucky the, he didn't release the hounds and then the like, bus drove yeah. away but i was like that was i mean that was the best part of the whole night they, they might guy. have an animatronic bob dylan on that bus maybe so know. All right, well, let's get to 2007 here on 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. We're on the Electricast Podcast Network, and we like to start things off with the Grammy winner. This one made me laugh so hard. I'm going to lean into, uh, I'm going to 
fast forward to the middle. Otherwise, it'll take forever for you guys to figure out what it is. Okay. So let me just, I'm just going to pick a random moment here in the middle, but this killed me. Ready? It's the Grammy winner. River, the Joni Letters by Herbie Hancock. Looking for a woman to call he was playing on the sidewalk A passing change Something strange happened Glory train passed through So we buried the corpse What is that noise? Was that a flute? What was that noise? It's like someone learning how to play the saxophone. That was the part where I was like, I have to get that part in the clip. Because I, I started giggling so hard. I'm like, what the hell is that? Oh my god. Right. This is which one? This is River Colon The Joni Letters by Herbie Hancock. Where Herbie does jazz versions of Joni Mitchell standards without Joni Mitchell on any of them except one. And who wow. is our, who's our favorite? That's got to be Nora Jones. That was indeed Nora Jones' track. I actually thought this was a Nora Jones record. I was like, that's weird. No, this record features Tina Turner, Corinne Bailey Ray, uh, a couple of people I never heard of, Leonard Cohen. Boy, I can't even imagine what the Herbie Hancock Leonard Cohen song sounds like. Which one did he cover? Jungle Line. <laughs> I don't know that one. That's amazing. Oh, it's from, uh, it's from the... Um, hissing of summer lawns record it's a great song but what was the greatest song herbie hancock ever played on well the i like the headhunters record yeah that record's fantastic that's my favorite herbie hancock record but Which he was a great is that chameleon yeah chameleon oh no that's not the one i'll i'll look i'll figure it out okay yeah we could also play it instead of making sounds no, I think I think our versions are, are uh, <laughs> we're as good as that thing that went. <laughs> oh, it's Cantaloupe Island is what I'm thinking of. Cantaloupe uh, Island, great. That's also which became um, that Diggable Planet song. Oh, totally. Yeah, Herbie Hancock's great. His '60s solo records are fabulous. He's unbelievable in the Miles Davis quintet, and then he makes those great fusion records in the '70s. He's a monster fantastic piano player musician but this uh this is one of those classic like hey we haven't given Joni or herbie a grammy ever so let's just get a twofer Joni mitchell never got a grammy by date Oof. i don't think maybe she did i don't know it this this feels like one where the the academy's like hey i've heard of these two people yeah you it's know? a tough get for sure so i think cantaloupe did you say, I, I think it was us three that put out cantaloupe, not diggable planets. Oh, okay. Look at me with the knowledge. Mm. Uh, all right. Well, um, sadly, James Brown uh, died at the end of 2006. He died in December of 2006. It makes sense then that the Grammys of 2007 would pay tribute to James Brown. Who was it who came out and did a rendition of It's a Man's World at the 2007 Grammys. That's the song they chose? That is the song. That's the song. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> Hilarious. They got to back the bus over the guy again. It's like literally like, 
It's not even one of his better songs. No. And it's a response to Aretha Franklin's respect. This is the worst. Uh, Anyhow, maybe Prince, who'd they get? No, Prince would never say yes to that. There's no way Prince would agree to that. It was. Any guesses, Jeff Simons? I'm going to guess they gender-bended it and uh, had a woman do it. And it's 2007. I can't imagine who they thought was the the right person in 2007 to do that. It it was Christina Aguilera. Oh! Perfect. Perfect. What is wrong with these people? (laughs) That is amazing. Um, Did she medley it with What a Girl Wants? Because that would have been really good. That would have been good. You know, the craziest thing about this is they have producers for this show. Like, it doesn't happen organically. It's not like they open the building up and people wander in and start doing stuff. So there's an actual meeting. There's a meeting with the producers where they're like, who died? And they're like, James Brown died. And they're like, okay. Let's go. A good start. James (laughs) Brown died. We can do a tribute to James Brown. Yes, Excellent idea. And then they somehow end up with It's a Man World sung by Christina Aguilera. Like, like seriously, like, just do sex, have Prince do Sex Machine. We're done. We're done. All right. All right. So good rant, Ben. You can actually take this next question off because I think Jeff Simons is going to go on a bit of a rant. Oh, I hope so. Genesis releases their first of five planned box sets. But the box set is immediately criticized both by Genesis fans and by audiophiles. I can't believe you're going this deep into a Genesis rant. This is amazing. You're teeing me up. Criticized for the dynamic range compression, which I think, and you know I love you, so I... I offer this as uh, endearing um, feedback, which I think has to do with that nerdy thing you were doing in New York City when you were re-recording all your albums to get rid of something. So there's this thing called the Loudness Wars. Let's go, the Loudness Wars, ladies and gentlemen. So here's what happened. We used to listen to music in the air, right? We would listen through speakers in our car. We'd listen to speakers at home. Okay. Very, very few people listened to music in headphones. Okay. Um, and the headphones, of course, puts the music right there. But then the iPod comes out and uh, the what starts with the Sony Walkman. But, you know, headphones aren't very good with the Sony Walkman. They're kind of rickety on your head and they're right. still putting in a lot of ambient noise. And then the iPod came in with the earbuds. We're going to stick this music into the center of your eardrum, and then you can just crank that up, and you can drown out the sound of life. All those great early iPod ads where guys are dancing, and people are on the subway, and all they can hear is the music, and they can't hear the ambient noise of city life. Well, it turns out, of course, that's very bad for you. It also turns out that in order for music to sound good in those little crappy earpods, the source of the music has to be amplified a little bit more. If you take a vinyl record from 1967 and you record it into a computer and you look at the dynamic range, it will, it will have all these peaks and valleys. Like the yes. sound file will look like 
seismic activity. It's quiet. And I do this places. on my on my podcast. Yes, Robot you do. Robot lady is usually very quiet. Yeah, I, I got Okay, go on. I'm with you. So what they did is they when they were mastering music, when recording, they would record it, but then the recordings were taken to a person who would master it for release. And what they would do is increase the volume of everything. And so it looks like in the audio sound file, it looks like a big wall of sound. It became known as being brick walled because it looked like a brick wall instead of this kind of open dynamic range. And so music started to get louder and louder and louder. And now when you have an iPod music directory and you have old music from the 80s that you ripped from your CD that was designed to be listened to in a stereo and new music that you've got that was mastered for earbuds, your dynamic range is all over the place. You'd be listening to Abbey Road and you have to crank it up all the way. And you're like, I can barely hear this. And then What a Girl Wants by Christina Aguilera ah. would come in and blow your ears completely out of the water because the sound is literally enormously different. And huh. so what happened was everything got remastered for, for earbuds. Loud, 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 loud. And it crushes your ears. It actually exhausts your eardrums to the point where after 20 minutes, your eardrums start to close to protect themselves and you can't hear music the way it's intended. So what I was started to do was take, go back as far as I could to find the original masterings of these recordings, both to try to save my tinnitus yeah, destroyed eardrums, but also because then it sounds better. It sounds better. So I stopped using earbuds. I used these big, fancy, over-the-ear Audio-Technica headphones, and everything I put into my iPod or my computer, I try to get the least brick-walled, most relaxed, sonically mastered stuff, and it makes an enormous, it makes an enormous difference. So the loudness opinion. wars, uh, who's winning? Well, Is everyone's losing. What? Actually, there's been an incredible victory because Spotify uh-huh. and iMusic and all these things are now replacing all their brick-walled MP3 streams with the original, what are called FLAC files, the full all right. original files. So you're gonna, you should start to hear very naturally an incredible increase in the quality of the music that you're streaming. It should be easier to listen to. You should be able to turn it up louder without pain. And you should be able to hear like a McDLT, the hot side's hot and the cold side's okay. cold. Yeah. All right, so, so Ben Barton, do you feel that was the main problem with the Genesis box set? I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just going to leave it at that. When hey, are we going to get to the fireworks factory? You know who won it? Uh, the, the loudest words is ACDC. When they put out the remastered back in black, and yeah. just laugh out loud funny. Like I actually, before I bought it, and then before I listened to it, I went back and listened to my OG back in black, which was, I think, maybe even burned from the record. Yeah. Anyhow. I just put on the remaster and it was, I was like, whoa, like 8,000 times louder. And I was like, they didn't remaster it. They just made the volume louder. And yep. I was like, by the way, good work, good work by them. That was a good job. <laughs> so all these different recording studios, all these different companies, they don't have a, um, they don't have a, a, a common metric that they're using as far as like, well, they did for about 10 years. It was make it as absolutely loud as possible. Take it to the edge of distortion Ugh. and leave it right there. Okay. But that, this is something that's nice about Spotify is that you like just right. Like when I, when you when I would roll through my iPod or 
like it would go up and down in volume and be really slow. Right. They can just go ahead and set everything to. They can keep the dynamic part of it, but also yep. set everything to the same volume. Okay. Cool. All right. Hey, look well, at that. that. We just we just uh, paid Spotify a compliment. That's kind of yeah. a nice change of pace. Look at us. Sure. By the way, I thought the first yeah. Genesis box set was uh, was pretty generous in its bonus tracks, Tim. Thanks for asking. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're coming back. Um, ben, I'm actually interested in, in, in how you feel about this because it seems to me that you value, uh, first of all, you're a lawyer. Um, so you value justice. You value the law. Um, and I think you also... Uh, have a, have a artistic integrity meter that might just go off the charts with this one. The Courage rock co concert um, situation in Iran where authorities broke up an underground Iranian rock concert. 230 musicians and fans were arrested. Did you know that in Iran... Rock music is not illegal, but you must get a license from the Ministry of Culture in order to perform rock music. I did not know that, Timmy. Isn't it fascinating? Indeed. It seems to me the very antithesis of rock would be to go down to the Ministry of Culture and apply for your rock First of all, license. if you go down to the Ministry of Culture, you're like, they're like, oh, here's your list. And it says, please arrest me. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we gave you the wrong one. Here's, here's the, the band list. Very different. I would be okay if rock bands had to apply to the three of us for a permit to make rock music. I'd <laughs> be pretty comfortable go. with that. Yeah. Sorry, Sonic Youth. No. Hey, hey, oh, hey. Sorry. Easy um, there. Yeah, we've never mentioned Sonic Youth on this band, have we? On this I podcast. We, I think they've come up. They have? You guys like them? I, I do like Sonic Youth. Some songs. And I sure. like popular songs. I'm like not a I'm not like a oh, when they were underground, they were great. I actually like the two or three records that were the most popular. Like I like them early nineties having weird top forty hits. Uh -huh. I like that version of Sonic Youth. Um, so what else happens in two thousand seven? The iPhone is released. That has uh, dramatically changed the way we do things. Um, unfortunately, the Virginia Tech shooting, uh, which wasn't too far away from us, Ben, happened. And, no, totally. And that hasn't changed uh, a thing. Um, the French high-speed train, the TGV, breaks the land speed record for trains in 2007. This is going to be a fun little contest. Closest to the pin contest. How fast in miles per hour Ooh. did this French high-speed train go? The TJGV. The TJV. I've written, 212, I've written the, 212 miles an hour. I was going to say 222 miles an hour. 222. What do you say, Ben? 212. Jeff Simon's closest to the pin, 357 Good miles an God. hour. God. Holy crap. I'm not sure you're I would want to ride on that. That is terrifying. Terrifying. 357 miles an hour. It did not go that fast when I wrote it. I rode the TJ Bay in like the 90s, and it was not going 357 miles an hour. Well, I wonder all. if this wasn't like a regular commuter route. Like, I wonder if they took everybody off and souped it up to, to set the record. <laughs> I wonder if they didn't tell them too. Like, 
Welcome to the train from Paris to Lyon. And you're lucky we are setting the record. Everybody, everybody strapped in. All I can picture is like the squirrels and the birds on the windshield. But can you imagine how much crap you hit at 357 miles an hour? Right. The animals aren't used to that speed. They're like, oh, I've got a second. Oh, I see it. They've got a what? Maybe oh, that's wow. the noise from the Herbie Hancock record. That's the sound of a bird hitting a 357 mile an hour train. <laughs> uh, in 2007, we had the live Earth concerts, a series of concerts all around the globe, hundreds of acts uh, on uh, the stage. It made me think, Jeff Simons, if you had your druthers, what music festival? Anywhere in the world, any time in the world, would you most like to have played at? Go. Played at? Played at. I'd be honored to play at any music festival. I, any... I know. Sure. No. Come on. You played at Outside Lands, right? Uh, no, I wish. We got, we didn't make the cut. I thought we were, I really thought we were going to make the cut for that one. For which um, one? I played at the Rocky Mountain Folk Festival. That's probably the biggest festival I played at. That was fun. That's like okay. seven or 8,000 people. That was pretty neat. Um, I, I guess I would want to play Bonnaroo with you guys there. So Bonnaroo 2006, right before the Decemberists, which we all saw together in a very memorable way. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. You are a professional, sir. (laughs) So not, uh, Altamont right after, uh, Jefferson. I'm going to pass on Altamont if that's okay. (laughs) You know, which other one, the one that sounds worst of all. There was a there was a festival in 1973 in Watkins Glen at the racetrack and it was the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers and the band. Uh-huh. And it was the Allman Brothers after Dwayne Allman. And it was 107 degrees oh. when the show started. And it was 725,000 people oh. on a concrete racetrack. I mean, just everything I've ever heard about that festival is like, that sounds like the worst <laughs> day. Ever. I mean, I, I would pay $100 not to be subjected to the Watkins Glen, Watkins Glen Rock Festival. So right. there's one. Let's get to our best-selling album of 2007. This one is a humdinger. It's the number one album. Noel by Josh Groban. My Christmas I'll let Ben tell us. Ben, I'm sure, is an aficionado of this fine I artist. I totally cheated, and I looked it up. It's Josh Groban's Joshy, Noel. Joshy Groban. So that this is, is like um, the weirdest number one single was the Tie Yellow Ribbon, right? That one yeah. really that was stands out in my mind. Yeah. It's just like inexplicably weird. Yeah. This is the weirdest album. Is there a weirder album than this? I don't think so. Number it's one. not even a regular Christmas album. Who, yeah i'm sorry who is he should oh, i josh, josh groban is uh he's a very good singer he was like 
He's like the Kenny G of vocalists. He's got he the like, same kind of big ultra perm. And uh, is he like Michael Bublé? Bublé? Bubble? No, that's way too jazzy, man. Way oh, too jazzy. You got to really... You got to vanilla down a little bit. That's too much. <laughs> yeah, this is for the people who, when they hear Bublé, are like, oh, that was a lot. Is there less? And they're like, yes, there is. Josh Groban. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't a Christmas album? So does, I mean, no, it's, it's called Noel. It is. Yes, it, it's a Christmas album. It does not have Oh Holy Night on it, though. Like, how how can you make a Christmas album and leave off one of the five most beautiful things ever written? I just don't even understand that. He's got it all. You got to have Oh Holy Night on your Christmas record. I just cry shenanigans on any Christmas record that does not include that one. Huh. I'm mad well, at any Christmas record that doesn't do the white Christmas, blue Christmas combo. Back no question. Back, like our gal, Nora Jones. No question. Once she, she does it, though, you're just copying. By the way, I was speculating. I went out for a run today, and I was like, what if there were a red Christmas? I what if it's just, just, like, uh-huh. just a lot of murder or something? That's coming. That's coming. Uh-huh. That's Jim what Science, climate change how, Christmas is going to be. How Red many, Christmas. How many people bought that album? Oh, God, it's going to be really horrible. Um, I'm going to say 11 and a half million people bought that record. Ben, what's your guess? I'll go 11 and a half million plus one. <laughs> um, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll cut these pause. I love that you asked before you had the answer. Yeah, for some reason. Well, I- hey, I can fill in. Hey, the Grammys are tonight. That's right. Oh, record of the year. They have t- this is the best song of the year. Yep. There's 10 nominees. Which would be funnier if the new ABBA song won? Oh. Or if the Tony Bennett song won? Tony Bennett oh. for sure. Don't Tony you Bennett think? would be the hilarious. It's we so literally funny. had a conversation about with Tony Bennett where he, when he won like two years ago, I was like, he's not dead? But yeah, no, not dead. No, nope. he's up for Amazing. a Grammy. And if they, uh, he wins, they're going to have to explain to him where he is and what just happened for sure. He, um, and he's going to be so gracious about it. He's going to be, that is just fabulous news. Yeah, by the way, I love was, winning awards. Abba's so old. I mean, uh, Tony Bennett's really, really old if Abba is old. Yeah. Um, 4.6 million. That's it? Oh, yeah. Jeff, you win. That's all it takes to be the record of the year. It must have been a soft year. It must have been a very soft yeah. year. 4.6 is low. Well, yeah, it's not that great. Okay. Sorry, Josh. Um, let's get to uh, a little preview of season three of our podcast, perhaps. Oh, nice. Because in 2007, all three of us, not just two of us, uh, had located our families in the cities in which we now live. So Asheville, North Carolina, Berkeley, California, Knoxville, Tennessee, which means we've all been in our uh, home cities for a good while now. Jeff, you get the longest. Um, or actually, actually no, I moved to Berkeley in 2009, but I'm allowing this conversation. Okay, because it's not too far from... It's not too far from where I was right. Close enough, brother. You could just encapsulate all of Northern California. Then. Sure. Top three things about living where you live, living in the city in which you live. I'll go first with my number one thing. Asheville has great beer. It is Beer City USA. We've got like over 50 breweries popping up all over Western North Carolina. Um, so yeah, beer. Awesome. I think we should go in uh, alphabetical order. So I will say that number one here is the weather. I mean, fires aside, it is 74 degrees with a light breeze, 300 days a year here 
the weather is, is pretty great. Just lovely. I'm jealous now. All right. Ben, it's you. Contractually obligated to say that the mayor of Knoxville, yeah, Tennessee. No question about it. About living in Knoxville, Tennessee. With that out of the way, we'll say there are two different things that are, are world class in Knoxville. Like I will put them up against anything of this category in any other city in the country or the world. First is wild parks. We have mm. an urban wilderness in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's actually a reflection on how like rough and rocky the terrain is and how useless this land is. It was just never built on. It's inside oh. the city limits. And we've got a 15 mile loop, some like, I don't know, four miles, which runs along the Tennessee river. Wow. It's just jaw droppingly spectacular. We've had um, mountain biking races at it, whatever the big mountain biking races that started in Moab has come here two different times. Like it's just so fun to run in, so fun to hike in, gorgeous. Wow, great. People in Asheville are incredibly nice. Uh, Whether they have moved here and they've moved here because they brought their wealth with them, those those people are usually pretty happy or they're young artists, they're happy. but people who grow up here, you know, in the mountains, uh, super, super nice. You know, maybe it's because we have a history of being isolated and kind of we're all in this together. But it's just a great attitude in this town. Uh, neighbor helping out neighbor. Oh, I wish I could join you on that one. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, well, I'm keeping it superficial. The food here is incredible. I live a mile away from Chez Panisse, uh, where kind of modern food culture may have had its origins. Mm. Um, I live within three miles of maybe 30 uh, restaurants that I would put up against any food I've ever eaten anywhere. Wow. It's not, you know, it's not uh, Copenhagen, best restaurant on planet Earth level. Uh-huh. But like my average pizza is better than like my like, let's just get a pizza is one of the 10 best pizzas in the country. <laughs> and my funny. like, let's get some burritos is <laughs> one of the best burrito places in the world. It's just uh, I'm spoiled, right. completely rotten, not by the high end food, but the like takeout Tuesday f- quality of the food that's available. Right. To me. That's number two. Right. That's pretty cool. Ben Barton. Number two, I will put college sports. Yeah. University of Tennessee football, men's basketball, and the Lady Vols. You take that trio of things, that's world class right there. Fantastic. We've had season tickets to all three of those, and they each one is more rewarding than the last. Really fun. So I could say the outdoors and the natural market say food. Or I could say this is where my wife lives. The Helen play no. Oh, um, um, I think the sight of mountains. Um, as I'm driving around or as I'm uh, walking around campus, it's just beautiful. Uh, being up here, seeing sunrises, seeing sunsets, with the mountain backdrop, um, and with climate change, this is really the only place you can be high up. So. Well, I, I mean, I could say that too. It's a pretty um, spectacular. I mean, like Golden Gate Bridge and Marin County and uh, Mount Tam and San Francisco itself is a kind of a visually arresting right. city. But I'll actually go with um, so this is for better and for worse. But there's a lot of um, there's a lot of really smart, motivated people 
in the Bay Area. It is okay. a place where uh, people come to to push the envelope in a lot of different ways, political thought, technology. Um, and so like my neighbors are really smart. And when I overhear conversations at the grocery store, they're like high level, really smart conversations. And uh, it keeps you it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you thinking like I uh, and sometimes it drives me crazy. Um, you lose that friendliness with really highly motivated, smart people. They also can be um, enormously bad at being part of a larger friendly culture. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Um, they do keep you thinking. So I guess maybe I'll with a caveat, I'll make that my third uh, observation about where I live. OK, back to Knoxville. I'm going to choose the neighborhood we live in, Forth and Gill. We moved here in 2001. We flew here four months before we moved here. We had one weekend to choose a house. India Kincannon was eight months pregnant. Oh. And we saw 23 houses in a weekend. <laughs> we came down to a choice between the house we currently live in and an architect designed house in South Knoxville that was fantastic it was so weird and beautiful in the woods and i was like oh india we could never afford this in any other town we should definitely get this like it's a it's a like it's architectural digest like it's fantastic this house and she was like we'll never know anybody there's no sidewalks there you're an idiot she couldn't have been more right <laughs> we moved into this neighborhood with sidewalks it's an old victorian neighborhood all of our best friends are from this neighborhood. We live like an old-fashioned 1950s style life where we would open the door to the girls when they were seven and five and be like, come home for dinner. And they would. Like they just went yeah. out and climbed trees and saw all our friends. Everybody knew each other. Uh, it launched India's political career. All of our dearest friends live in this neighborhood. Um, I don't know whether it's unique to Knoxville, but it, that's how I experience it. It's seriously, it's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life is living in this neighborhood. Ah, oh, that's a strong statement. And that is the trump card right there. Yeah, that's I good can't stuff. Top that. My wonder... life now pales in sad, lonely comparison. <laughs> no question about it. Just end, end this thing now before I... Uh, I, wonder, I wonder who's living out in the woods and that architecturally... Uh, intriguing house that you looked at no it's true that's what you got to find out is it's who's... sold like seven different times since because we of because lonely it's cursed mr and ms lonely hearts living up there yeah totally yeah all right let's get to r3 album r3 albums who goes first i'll go first because i have mine queued up um my choice for 2007 is a band that we've all been listening to now for about 20 years, which is just crazy. I cannot believe that this band's catalog now uh, is into its third decade. Some bands just are always there and they're putting out a record every couple of years. And you're like, oh, I like this one. Oh, I like this one, too. And you kind of take them for granted. And the next thing you know, they've got uh, their nine albums deep into a multi-decade career and they have never really let you down. And uh, so I want to take my two or three minutes to thank the members of Spoon, who oh, in 2007 right. put out maybe my favorite Spoon record. But the thing that's crazy about Spoon is I kind of like all their records, starting with Girls Can Tell in 2003. Every couple of years, Spoon puts out a record and it's full 
of good songs. Not all, not gate to gate. There's always a couple where I'm like, yeah, that really sounds like a record from the last one, or that one's a little twee. That one's not doing it for me. But there's usually half a dozen songs that I'm really glad exist in the world. Um, so Britt Daniels, the leader of Spoon. Um, Spoon is a band name, but uh, it is a one-man band with folks who he brings in and admires, and they're part of the creative process, and then they leave and come back. It's a kind of a rotating cast of folks. Um, Britt knows how to both keep total control so that every record relates back to the previous one while also kind of leaning in to the talents of the collective that he has around him. Um, Spoon's music is kind of angular and it's got edges and starts and stops. And that's kind of got a kind of an indie quality to it. He also loves good old fashioned rock and roll sounds like guitars with just the right <laughs> amount of crunch and uh, a horn section that isn't cheesy and a really well mic'd drum kit. He is a stickler for minimalist arrangements. You're never going to hear something on a spoon record where you say to yourself, well, that's a little indulgent. Like everything has its place. He kind of reminds me of a, of a much more relaxed version of uh, uh, Ben, help me. What's the name of that Brooklyn band where the guy's a complete lunatic and everything, the dirty projectors. Oh yeah. Like spoon is like the rock and roll dirty projectors. Like I can't like, I would not get on stage with that guy and be like, I think I'm just going to freestyle for a minute. I'm sure Britt won't notice. Like you'd get that, like look over the shoulder, like what are you playing? But you know, one of the things I really love about Spoon is their songwriting process. What they do is sit in a circle and think of a song that they love and then describe it without telling anybody the name of the song or the band they're describing. And then they all try to write a song that sounds like that. Oh, neat. So you say like, okay, this is a song that's kind of a mid-tempo toe tapper. You can dance to it or you can just bob your head. It's got an old school stacks horn section. And it's a song about trying to hold on to a sense of independence, but still wistfully wishing that you were in a relationship. <laughs> and you don't say, I'm describing the Rolling Stones happy. So you, you think of a song that you love and you learn how to articulate it. And then people create that music without knowing the, the origin point. I love that. I love so that. So this is, this is Ga 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 from 2007. Um, I'm picking this record because as I looked at all of our decades, like this is the best year for me to pick a Spoon record compared to what else is available to me. But they're all pretty damn good. Um, I would think that if you made a, a best of Spoon double CD, you could probably have like a 30 song anthology of this band's highest highs and it would just be an awesome mixtape you could just put on the best of spoon and run it gate to gate and never have to hit the the advance button i could have picked half a dozen here but i'll pick the hit or the what was the lead single this is the underdog uh and it gives you a pretty good idea of what this band's all about i can't imagine there's too many people listening to us that aren't familiar with this band they are also really fun live i've seen spoon two or three times and they put on a great sweaty rock and roll show. And uh, I'm a big fan. Here we go. Ga, 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 ga by Spoon. In the living room. Your pipe and slippers set out for you. I know you think that it ain't too far. But I, I hear a call of a lifetime ring. 
felt the need to get up for it. Oh, he cut out the middle man. Get free from the middle man. You got no time for the messenger. Got no regard for the thing that you don't understand. You got no fear of the underdog. That's why you will not survive. Love those horns. So fun. Coming in like that. What's the guy's name? Britt Daniel. Britt Daniel. Where is he from? Uh, I believe they've been based out of Austin, Texas for a really long time. I'm not sure where he's from originally, but I think of them as an Austin band. Austin. Woo. Ben. Really, really huge Spoon fan. They're a very, very challenging band to do his album of the year and jeff put his finger on it <clears throat> there are a lot of albums that are equally good yeah i don't think they have a single at least for me they don't have a single album where i'm like wow there's eight great songs on this record um they have a multiple albums that have two or three great songs um and this is actually i guess if you're right like i really like that song and i really really like cherry bomb so this maybe is my favorite it's hard to but, say but i mean you could make an argument for all of them as yeah, the best totally. What's I your really, favorite spoon song? You know, I don't know what is, but you know what I I'm amazed is how much I like the new single. Have you have oh, you dude, spent any time all, the with the hardest cut? Great. The, the new hardest record is cut great. might be my current favorite spoon song. I can't believe how good that song is. Yeah, totally. And I've got tickets to see them in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm very excited about Woo-hoo! it. Woohoo! When is that? <sighs> Maybe a month and a half. I mean, I, I I'm not too far. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, um, I think my favorite is uh, fitted shirt. Fitted shirt. Okay. Yeah, and then my second I love favorite is I, I also love Take on. a Walk. I love Take a Walk from that record. That's yeah. such a great one. And Cameron's great. I love that song. Yep. All right. But yeah, they're, they, they're very, very, very thoughtful and constructed. Um, and that's a for better or for worse. It's mostly for better, I think. But there is like a real constrained, sometimes overthought out aspect to them. That being said, you're completely right. There's like, there's at least like a, a spoon's greatest hits. That's ten songs would be wow. I mean that 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 would really stand out to almost any band's ten best songs. Well, this is great. I mean, the board of directors. I, full disclosure for for everyone. The board of directors did ask um, that we reel in the acrimony that was so obvious on the podcast last week. So it's good that you guys. So that's are... why you started the podcast by attacking my outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I, I'm just seeing their memo again. That reminded me. Yeah, uh, nice job. Way to bring it together on Spoon. Ben Barton. In 1981, my guy, Justin Vernon, is born in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He goes to UW Eau Claire and he studies music, but he's a religion major, kind of a thoughtful guy. He puts together a band in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, but they decide that's a dead spot for getting signed. So they move to Raleigh, North Carolina. And I guess he's there for three or four years playing in bands in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's why he leaves Raleigh, North Carolina. He gets kicked out of the band. And these are all friends of his that he's known since high school in Wisconsin. And they're like, you're such a dickhead. We won't play with you anymore. 
He breaks up with his girlfriend. He loses all his money at online poker. And he gets fired at the sandwich shop that he works on. So he yes. grabs his recording equipment and his guitar. He puts it on the trunk of his car and he drives home, tail between his legs. He's 25 years old and he's convinced he's a failure. Like basically, he had this great dream of being a, a musician and a rock star. Totally flames out. And that's all to, for this week, friends. Thanks. <laughs> yes, yeah, thanks. He gets to his, his home in Eau Claire and he's in there for like two hours and he's like, oh, I, I can't. I can't live at home with my parents at 25. So he goes and moves to their hunting cabin. This is his dad's hunting cabin, 45 minutes north of Eau Claire. They've got 80 acres of land and a relatively rustic. Now, now this is one of these stories that's been greatly exaggerated over time. There was a time when the hunting cabin did not have plumbing or a floor. That was not the case when Justin lives there. Like they have an actual wood floor and they got plumbing and it's actually reasonably nice. According to him, it is true. He goes out and kills some deer and he lives on deer meat, beer and potato chips that his dad brings him every two weeks for three months. He's got mono and he's got um, some kind of like hepatitis liver disease situation going on. Like he's really sick and he's living by himself in the winter. And by the way, all you need to know about winter is when you're like north of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, yeah, you're like, wow, is that like, rough. is that where Santa lives? Like, what is that about? <laughs> like there's a place that's shittier and more north than Eau Claire? Yes. <laughs> and that's and, it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> See you next the, year. Spends the winter in this cabin. And by his own description, for the first couple of weeks, he just is like, just drinking beer, watching TV, crippled by depression just can't believe where he's at drags his recording equipment out of his car and starts writing songs he writes 10 songs i believe and records them himself and he's only got an eight track and so he got an eight track and a pro tools on a mac and then he's got um an auto tune that he's working with and when you hear the record itself, you can't believe that it's just one dude by himself in a cab. You, you can believe it's because the songs sound like a dude alone in a cabin. Okay. But the different parts, I mean, like there's harmonies that must be that are like seem like seven or eight different voices on top of each other. It's hard to imagine how we could have put it together on an A-track. He does, in fact, he chooses the name for himself as Bon Iver or Bon Iver, as they say in Eau Claire. And that's still what I stick with. I stick with Bon Iver. I'm not going with the French pronunciation. It's not my fault. He doesn't even spell it like the French do. Bon Iver records this record. He emerges in spring with these songs. His original plan is to send them out to, he, he presses it himself in 2007, 500 copies of the CD. And his original plan is to send it out to labels. And his friends are like, no, no don't, don't do that. Like, don't re-record this. This is it. Like, this is the material. Don't touch it at all. That's what he does. He releases it himself in 2007. It actually comes out on Jag Jaguar in 2008. So it's like light cheating maybe to choose 2007. But that's the least of the cheating I'm about to do. Um, uh, For Emma comes out in 2008. It's a beautiful, 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 searing heartbreak depression record really one of the best ever recorded and we've discussed this before like it's basically just an acoustic guitar and singing record 
the level of difficulty to make a useful record in that space when right. it's 2007 is like just impossible. Like they've been, people have been working in that space for a long, 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 long time. And so to come out with something that's kind of new and weird sounding, he adopts a falsetto. That's one of the things he does in the cabin. And then he gets all of this like uh, background singing of himself singing, singing with it. It's just beautiful. It's heart wrenching. It's an uh, ode to his ex-girlfriend, although he says that uh, Emma's his ex-girlfriend's middle name, although he's like, that, it's not about her. <laughs> Emma's a concept, but I'm like, okay, sure, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you you lived really in a cabin. About, for... It's about the sandwich shop. <laughs> <laughs> you lived in a cabin for three months? Sure, it's a concept. That's good. Um, the light cheating that I'm going to do is an outtake from the record comes out on an EP a year later, the outtake song is Blood Bank. This is my favorite Bon Iver song. It's a heartbreaker about meeting his girlfriend, giving blood for money. It's amazing. Jeff, if you will start at the 38 second mark, we'll just scoot right into the song. For Emma, Forever Ago by Bon Iver. Well, I met you at the blood bank We were looking at the bags Wondering if any other color Matched any other names we knew on the tags You said, see, look at that, it's yours Stacked on top with your brothers See how they resemble one another Even in the play secret that you know that you don't know how to tell it fucks with your honor and it teases your head but you know that it's good girl cause it's running you started falling we were stuck out in your car you were so it ends on christmas morning that's where that song ends they meet at the blood bank they eat candy bars in his car with the snow and then they wake up in the car to christmas morning and that a whole chorus comes in behind him song is so beautiful but just generally speaking like i can't say enough about this record um and then just generally so there's this guy Sufi and Stevens and Iron and Wine are all sort of like connected in my mind. And the best Iron and Wine record comes out this year too. Shepherd's Dog is the is the best Iron. I thought and that record. would be your pick. I thought you were going to go with Shepherd's Dog myself. So I do I do care for that record, but I mean Bon Iver's entire catalog is so much stronger than the um, Iron and Wine catalog. Um, but they're both in this situation. Iron and Wine's the same thing. Like it's, he's a couple of years before Bon Iver, but he just recorded just recorded by himself solo acoustic, solo acoustic, solo acoustic. It was super pretty um saw it was so, uh, 2008 i saw iron and wine at bonnaroo fantastic show 2009 i saw bon iver at bonnaroo and i actually i actually went and looked at it there's a youtube video of the closing song which is wolves act one act two um so wolves act one act two starts very quiet and slow 
and then it goes into a sing-along at the end and there's a screaming noise end to it it's a tent at Bonnaroo so at Bonnaroo there's these there's like three tents and two really big stages and if you see like a like a, a punk act or a loud act at a tent it's fine there's no problem with it at all see a quiet act sometimes like the noise will bleed in from the other tents because you've got like a speed metal band next to Bon Iver um he comes to the last song and he's like we really gonna need you to sing along with this he teaches the audience to sing it he starts singing and I mean the video reflects my recollection of it which is for the first minute of it it's like whisper quiet like just utterly silent in the tent and you've got several thousand people all pressed up just listen to this guy singing this very very quiet sad song about breaking up with his girlfriend then he gets into the sing-along part and he instructs the audience before they start he's like start quiet and get loud and you can see it in the video it's intense it's so amazing like starts out and the, the audience is whispering along with him and like you could almost hear in the background the noise of the other shows, but everyone's so intent on this performance that they're just completely focused on it. And it gets louder and louder and louder. And then it ends in this primal scream with him like feedbacking his guitar against it. And the, the person who's filming it is so bold, was like me. I was like, I, I was completely transported. It's a top 10 Bonnaroo moment for me. I was like freaking blown away by this. And the video, the guy's just spinning in circles, taking in the audience's reaction to this howl of like anger and bitterness and sadness all at the end. And that's the end of the show. Just fantastic. Wow. I, I love the idea that, you know, thousands of people are, are so earnest. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can start quiet. And gentle back me on this. Bonnaroo is completely like that. Yep. Yeah. It's weirdly, and this is what happened at the Iron Wine Show. At the Iron Wine Show, he finishes up and it's he's the last show before Pearl Jam. Okay. He leaves and the crowd is just won't leave. They're just cheering, cheering, cheering. And at Bonnaroo, they're very hard on the clock. They really badly don't want you to go late because they got to pack you up and get the next show on. Except if you're against the main stage because there's nothing else after them until midnight. So he comes back out and he's like, they've given me permission to sing one more song. And like everyone loses their mind. They're all screaming for, for I don't know why. There's this long pause and he's like, I'm deeply moved by this reaction. This <laughs> 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 is classic. It's fantastic. That's so yeah, Bonner is the, once a year, Bonner is the best music audience on planet Earth. Just it's not, I mean, like at Coachella, I haven't been, but my understanding is you get a lot of sort of cool people and beautiful people and people who are there just to kind of check it out. Bonnaroo's in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's music mostly nerds. really big pe people who really, really like music. And yeah. they, they reflect it. Like the crowds are great. Yeah. I totally agree. Totally agree. All right. Well, let's put this puppy to bed. I don't get to say anything about Bon Iver. I'm so sorry. I just, I just realized. No, it's it. okay. I just want to, I think Ben picked the best Bon Iver song. Blood Bank is also my favorite Bon Iver song. All right. Song. And my take on Bon Iver is, um, I don't, I can't remember a record that other musicians reacted as strongly to as that Emma record. Like I have, you know, not to, not to sound like a jackass or anything, but I have friends in pretty big bands who don't sound anything like Bon Iver and it's all they wanted to listen to. 
huh. that whole winter, that whole winter, whenever they came off tour and then we would hang out, they're like, Bon, have you heard the Bon Iver record? It was, and, and they were so funny. They're like, why am I not making this record myself? Like it almost like, it was almost like a mocking taunt to quote uh, Whitman at other musicians. Like if this guy can pull this off, what are, what are we doing? Like people really felt challenged by it in ways that, that records struggle to challenge people. Huh. So I'll just say that. All right. That's great. I, I, I actually have to confess. I know a little Bon Iver, um, but I don't know that album very well. So I'm going to have to listen to it. And, and I'm yeah, glad if you want to start on that record. Skinny love is the single from that record. It's okay. a banger. Like that's start that's there. Super accessible. Well, yep, I'm, yep, just, yep. I'm excited that Ben has given me permission to not have to butcher the French pronunciation. So oh yeah, I, totally. So, yeah. American. Bon Iver, Wisconsin. That's a great um, Tim Plane story. Wait, wait, wait. That's a great Tim Plane story. I'm in Paris with Tim Plane, and we're sitting at a table, and the waiter comes over, and everybody tries to use their sixth grade French. They're like, jusqu'à plus, blah, 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 blah. And he gets to Tim. He goes, yeah, how you doing? I'm going to have this. And he points at the cheeseburger in the menu. It was the most... He was the only one who kept it real at the whole table. All these posers, they're like, oh, I'm pitiful, say. Tim was like, I would like a cheeseburger, please. Please just bring me food I can eat. Unless you'd like to hear me speak like Inspector Clouseau, because that's as close as I'm going to get. All right. We are going to go with Neon Bible by Arcade Fire for my pick, 2007. And I'm going to go all the way down. I, I know second song on an album is usually really, really great. And uh, I think Keep the Car Running is great. But I'm going with Antichrist Television Blues, Jeff Simon. Neon Bible by Arcade Fire. like a bird on the stage hey you know what else i don't want to work in a building downtown park my car in the underground Damn right. i'm doing just fine thank you my favorite arcade fire moment is the snl skit where they have lauren michaels doing the game show new cast member or member of arcade fire <laughs> he has like six six in a row he has to do it's really great that is really funny um Jeff, you think Arcade Fire, does their shtick grow old? It grew old for me, but that, that song sounded great. 
You know, I got to admit, like, I, I've always felt like the Arcade Fire thing got in the way of me enjoying their music more than than I should have. But um, every time somebody plays an Arcade Fire song for me, I have this like, ugh. And then I'm like, oh, it just sounds pretty damn good. So have you I, ever um, seen them live? No, I've seen footage of them live. I, I just like I did not like Funeral as much as everybody else did. Like people went nuts for Funeral uh-huh. in 2004. And it was just a little slow in places. It was a little too uh, like it sounded like a Wes Anderson nightmare come to life too often for me. <laughs> and uh, so it's I've great. always been playing catch up with this band. But there are there are so many good Arcade Fire songs. I, I am neutral. I don't want to be a crank about it. Ben Barton, where are you on Arcade Fire? So I'll be super curious to hear if y'all have had this experience with your beloved spouses. Uh-oh. So um, there's a restaurant. Before there was a Chipotle in Knoxville, there was a, a burrito place called Moe's. Yeah, that's sure. Another chain that's like Mo's. a chain that's worse than yep. um, Chipotle. And because there was no Chipotle and because I really, really, really like Mexican food, I ate there all the time. I ate there like twice or three times a week. Welcome to Moe's. It was a short, close right totally anyhow i brought india there and she was like ah you know have you noticed it's too salty food here's really salty and i was like no i never noticed that i like the food here and she was like nah it's just it's gross super salty (laughs) so anyway we we left and i I went back on tuesday at work for lunch and i was like god damn it's salty (laughs) she's ruined this place for me like i now despise most i literally (laughs) couldn't eat there anymore that was the last time i ate there I was like, it is too salty. The food here freaking sucks. <laughs> Arcade Fire played Bonnaroo in 2011. Uh-huh. And I had I had uh, sim- basically Jeff's opinion of Arcade Fire. I was like, I feel like I'm mixed on them, but they're a headliner at Bonnaroo. I'm going to give it a chance. So I made my Bonnaroo mix. I shared it with India. She was like, do you like this band? And I was like, yeah, sure. I, I think, I mean, there's some Arcade Fire songs. I like. She's like, this band sucks. Oh, they're it. a b-list canadian oh. springsteen ripoff band what the songs are boring i'm out <laughs> and then i listened the next day i tried listening to my bottom remix i was like damn i've got to delete all the arcade fire songs <laughs> I hate this band. she's right i hate them i don't know what i was thinking that is that is so that is kind of great that is kind of a great but, but has this happened to you where your wife can like knows you better than you know you and actually gives you the new opinion of this thing? Sadly, it happens most often when she reveals my own idiocy. So <laughs> I wish I wish in my house it was related to things as trivial as bands we like. But more often, she's like, you see this thing that you do over and over again that makes our lives worse. I'm like, well, I see it now. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I I get it when I'm being super negative. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. So, she's like, well, did you consider that X, Y, and Z? And she'll kind of explain and talk me back from the ledge. I cannot even imagine how much I would disappoint Helen on a daily basis if you're too negative for her. I mean, my man. If there's any one of us who's most likely to have animated cartoon animals land on their shoulders, it is definitely you. (laughs) But Ben's right. I went after his shirt right away. It's a lovely shirt, Ben. I don't even know why. I don't know where that came from. Gosh, darn it. It's called self-loathing. I'm going to spread joy (laughs) from now on. Let me turn on these lights down here in the basement. Nice work this week, Tim. That was, uh, I'm starting to, to kind of, have the out-of-body experience of marveling at your 
just effortless hosting as we do these things. Like you just, you make it just, you just, you just keep us going. I don't even know you're spinning the hamster wheel for me. It just, Plug it's away. So appealing. I just step on there and start running and I'm happy to do it. You know, I just, I take advice from, um, from some of the greats and I know how to get like Matt Lauer and um, you know, just get out of the way <laughs> of the guests. I don't think Matt Lauer got that was out of tough the way. Too. You did fact. not. That was really not. That was okay. a terrible I think, joke. I think history joke. has indicated that he was pretty much in the way. All right, we're cutting the whole thing. Cut it all out, <laughs> gentlemen. I will talk to you later. I'll well done, fellas. Thank hey. you, friends. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.